Welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Stefan Griffin. I'm a junior doctor in London, UK, and a member of the BGSM editorial board. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be delighted by Professor John Dresner, who really in the world of sports medicine or sports cardiology doesn't really need an introduction. But for those of you who may not be so familiar with, their, with his work, John is a professor of the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Washington. He's a director of, at the Center for Sports Cardiology. He's a team physician for the Seattle Seahawks and a number of other teams in Seattle. He also wears the hat of deputy editor at the BGSM and is a past president of the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. So welcome uh, to the podcast, John. It's great to have you here. Uh, thanks so much. It's glad to be here. So let, let's sort of start off with uh, sudden cardiac death in sport. Um, tell us how much of an issue historically it's been. Well, sudden cardiac death in athletes has been an issue, I think, on the forefront for sports medicine and the medical community for, for quite some time. The sudden death of an elite, high-profile, or perhaps a Olympic athlete usually hits the media and the newspapers and raises a lot of attention and, and appropriately makes both the sporting community and the medical community ask questions about how can we prevent such tragedies. So this has been in the news for a long time. It's nothing new. And sometimes it feels like it's getting even more prominent and more coverage, perhaps with today's media that, that goes international so quickly, especially on social media. So sudden cardiac death in sport continues to be a major issue. And I think we continue to, to, to fight the, the, the challenge of, of how to prevent it, both through screening and, and through management. But in terms of the the wider picture of sudden cardiac death within athletes. Is this something that we're seeing less of these days compared to maybe 20, 30 years ago? You know, unfortunately, uh, I don't think we are. Um, and it could be that we're doing a better job of prevention, but we're also doing a better job of case identification when it does occur. So it's hard to compare our numbers from 20 and 30 years ago to what we're still monitoring through active surveillance right now in terms of the numbers. But thus far, there's not really any strong evidence that we're making a big dent in the rate of, of sudden cardiac death dating back 20 or 30 years. There are some exceptions to that. You know, of course, in, in the country of Italy, where they mandated EKG screening almost 30 years ago, they have a study from the Veneto region from Domenico Corrado and his group demonstrating an 89% reduction in sudden cardiac death over a 25-year period. You know, that study really started this sort of ECG screening debate. In addition, um, in the U.S., you know, we just published some uh, research on survival from sudden cardiac arrest in athletes. I do think we're doing a better job in terms of survival, but I don't think that the overall rate of major cardiovascular events in athletes has, has decreased substantially in most countries. In terms of now, there's obviously the, the classic Northern European versus the U.S. sort of point of view. Um, for people sort of who may not have delved into the, into the field of sports cardiology for a while, is there more of a global consensus now, or is there still sort of a, a slight debate over whether ECG should be mandated sort of as part of the screening protocol? I, I think there continues to be quite a bit of controversy and debate um, around the globe about what the best screening strategy is and also who should receive that screening strategy. And I also like to stay away from the word mandate because I think what we're trying to do is define a scientifically evidence-driven, scientifically supported screening strategy 
for early detection of conditions that place athletes at risk for sudden cardiac death. Mandate has other connotations to it that is now either government-driven or sports-governing body-driven. And sometimes you can mandate a policy without the proper medical infrastructure to implement it with quality. I think what we're really talking about is what is the right recommendation for cardiovascular screening? What should that protocol be? And the right protocol may be different in different parts of the world. It may be different uh, different parts of the same country. It may be different in different athletes from different sports within the same country. I think the two biggest things that influence the right cardiovascular screening protocol are number one, what's the risk in that athlete population? And number two, what are the sports cardiology resources available to do more advanced screening and do it with quality? Let's say for the sort of for those um, listening who might sort of be wondering what might what sort of what the current state of play would be with sort of an expert group such as yourselves in Seattle. Uh, if I in another life, uh, I'm a definitely failed athlete. But if I in another life was a sort of looking to make it as you know as a professional, um, I know you work within American football. What sort of things do you place huge emphasis on, and sort of could you sort of talk us through sort of key salient points in terms of history, examination, investigations you'd be looking into? More than anything, what we've realized is that the focused history and physical examination has very little efficacy for early detection of conditions at risk. Most athletes with conditions that predispose them to sudden cardiac arrest do not have warning symptoms that they have an underlying disorder. Most of them do not have physical examination findings. And so even if you do a very thorough history, ask the right questions about symptoms and family history, you do a comprehensive physical examination, you are likely to miss underlying cardiac disease in athletes. And so the the limitations of the traditional model of just a history and physical are now well recognized. And I think this is one of the biggest steps forward in sports cardiology over the last decade is to recognize that what once sounded like an appropriate evaluation to identify athletes at risk really just hasn't panned out to do much good, if any. There's not a single study that has demonstrated that doing history and physical examination alone identifies athletes at risk. And all of the studies that use history and physical um, talk about the sensitivity of those uh, screening tools have also used other tools in that study like uh, electrocardiogram or an echocardiogram. Uh, Within the U.S. sports medicine community, we now have the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine openly recognizing the limited effectiveness of a screening history and physical Uh, to prevent sudden cardiac death. We have the National Collegiate Athletic Association recognizing that the history questionnaires uh, have no scientific validation to them. And and recognizing these limitations to me is the first step of, of trying to get a higher quality screen. Recognizing limitations does not immediately equate that everyone should do something more or suddenly implement EKG but if if people can't agree that what we're doing is not working, then, then we can't really move forward. So I think the first thing is to recognize that, yep, I think everyone sort of wants to do a, a good history and physical, but even when you do it well, you're going to miss the ma- majority of athletes who have at-risk conditions. You know, within those tools, within history and physical, to me, there are um, two history elements that stand out. 
um, that, that shouldn't be missed. One is a, a history of syncope that occurs during exercise, um, I think needs a comprehensive evaluation to rule out you know, pathologic cardiac disease. And I think the other is a family history of early sudden cardiac arrest or sudden cardiac death or an inherited uh, cardiovascular condition. You know, that family history element um, also deserves a comprehensive investigation. If it's deemed necessary that the athletes need further investigations, like an ECG, um, there's actually it seems that there's quite a sort of strong em- emphasis on team physicians, sort of family physicians being able to accurately interpret these, um, which isn't quite as easy as it sounds. Has this, in your experience, been an issue sort of across the spectrum? And do you have any tips for physicians, or can you signpost physicians? <laughs> Yeah, really good question. Obviously, a, a sort of loaded question, <laughs> given some of our efforts in, in trying to make uh, ECG interpretation a more fundamental skill for sports medicine physicians and also creating some resources for them to, to learn ECG interpretation. If I can step back, ECG interpretation in athletes, should, it really should be uh, a basic skill for all sports medicine physicians, whether or not you believe in ECG screening or you just believe in quality cardiovascular care or you're only going to use ECG when you have a concerning you know, personal or family history or, or an exam finding, you still need to know how to look at the ECG and properly distinguish findings on the ECG that represent uh, athletic heart changes from um, regular intense training or physiological changes. And you need to be able to distinguish those from findings that are abnormal and potentially represent underlying cardiovascular pathology. Regardless of your of your stance or use of ECG uh, as a screening tool, ECG interpretation is still, to me, a fundamental skill that sports medicine physicians should learn, should know, um, and certainly our cardiology colleagues as well uh, need to need to do that. Um, we've spent a lot of time refining. Uh, the interpretation standards uh, for an ECG in an athlete, you know, beginning in 2010 with the European Society of Cardiology recommendations that were the first to break up ECG findings into two large groups, one that were sort of training related and physiological and the other that were training unrelated and, and potentially uh, pathologic findings. And then, of course, there's been additional renditions of those criteria, the Seattle criteria in, in 2013. Sanjay Sharma and his group and the revised criteria that most recently are international consensus standards, what we're coining the international criteria um, that were published in 2017, um, that really right now are the modern sort of standard for interpretation of an athlete's ECG. We have uh, a new uh, training module that will be launched probably uh, by the end of November of this year. I'm very, very excited about it. This has been a collaboration between our Center for Sports Cardiology at the University of Washington and the Australasian College of Sports and Exercise Physicians. Um, They have uh, a wonderful uh, e-learning platform, and we've made some modules that I think are interactive and walk people through basic ECG interpretation, normal findings in athletes, findings in cardiomyopathy, findings in primary electrical disease, such as uh, Wolf-Parkinson-White or ion channel disorders. We discuss some challenges and common pitfalls. There's some advanced modules, a couple post-tests. Um, I think it will really um, assist any physician who's interested in ECG interpretation to learn the international criteria, not just the criteria, but also 
what do you do next if the ECG is abnormal? What's the you know the proper um, secondary testing, which is a is a critical step in this process. You can't just know how to look at the ECG if it's abnormal. You have to know what to do next and and have the the right personnel around you to do that well. So it is a complex area, and hopefully this online training modules, which will be freely available for anyone around the world, can, can really assist the situation. Well, that sounds really interesting, and I'll make sure that the sort of the, any links to the, some of the things you've mentioned there will be in the blurb of the podcast, and we can uh, sort of promote them as a journal as well. And in terms of, I think you've led nicely now onto, onto the next question, which is, if an athlete goes through this screening protocol and the positive result comes out, sort of what is the next step? Whose responsibility is it to manage the sort of the athlete's withdrawal from sport? Um, and how, would you, how does this best approach usually be found? You know, first of all, a, a positive ECG doesn't always equate with a, you know, a underlying disorder. So if we fast forward a little bit and say that the athlete had a positive ECG and you went on to detect a, a pathologic cardiac disorder, you know, what do you do next? You know, this is an evolving area that, that uh, is receiving more and more uh, research as well as guidelines. There are new guidelines from the American College of Cardiology in terms of management of athletes with underlying cardiac disorders. There's, I believe, emerging uh, guidelines that are updated from the European Society of Cardiology. And there's been, I, I think, a, a, a paradigm shift in our thinking about athletes who have cardiac disorders, if you look back, you know, even 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you were diagnosed with a condition at risk for sudden cardiac death, it was almost like a universal disqualification or withdrawal from sport. For some cardiac disorders that there is evidence to suggest that you can intervene, receive optimal medical management, and have some shared uh, decision making, perhaps to return to sport, uh, but in a safer situation. So an example of that would be management of long QT syndrome, the athletes who may tolerate a beta blocker or receive an implantable defibrillator and, and receive other counseling about how to manage their long QT syndrome, avoidance of certain medications, uh, management of their electrolytes and hydration, et cetera. And, and not necessarily have a universal uh, disqualification recommendation for those athletes. Or the parallel is, is not true in our athletes with cardiomyopathy. I think that cardiomyopathy still presents a very risky situation for the athletes. Certainly in, in athletes with arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy, um, there's universal agreement those athletes shouldn't continue intense exercise and competitive sports. One of the controversial areas is what to do with athletes who are diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. I think that the majority of experts still are hesitant to allow those athletes to, to re return to competitive sport. And this was, um, to me, nicely highlighted by recent work by Anil Mohatra and Sanjay Sharma and their group and their wonderful publication in the New England Journal of Medicine regarding outcomes of, of cardiac screening and young elite soccer players from the FA um, within the UK. And I think a lot of people are familiar with that study, but they, they, they screened over 11,000 adolescent elite soccer players, uh, average age about 16, and then followed them uh, on average for about 10 years and looked at their cardiovascular outcomes. And of the 11,000, they identified 42 athletes with conditions at risk for sudden cardiac death. 
And within that group were five cases of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, all of which were recommended to stop play and withdraw from competitive sports. Three athletes stopped play and two athletes uh, decided to return to play against medical advice. And you follow those athletes long-term. And unfortunately, both athletes who returned to soccer against medical advice died. And the three athletes with HCM who, who withdrew from competitive play survived. And obviously those numbers are quite low, but I think to me it really highlights that, that playing with cardiomyopathy is probably a bad idea and that it still presents a, a high-risk situation. If you had one wish for the field of sports cardiology, and I know it's a very complex area, what would it be over the next few years? Is it sort of, uh, the, would it be something to do with screening? Would it be something to do with early management of sudden cardiac arrest? I think if I had one wish that I think would make the biggest impact, it would be around our training in sports cardiology as physicians, both in the sports medicine field as well as in the cardiology discipline. I don't think we get enough training in sports cardiology. Proper ECG interpretation should be a fundamental skill. It should be part of every residency and fellowship in sports medicine within both the sports medicine and cardiology disciplines. For the cardiology field, we need more and more experts who can properly distinguish athletic heart changes from cardiomyopathy on an echocardiogram. We need more experts who know how to manage um, young athletes with potentially lethal cardiovascular diseases. We, we have some expert centers that are uh, around the, the globe, and we have some uh, expert cardiologists you know, around the world, um, but we don't have enough of the infrastructure to, to reach every athlete um, at every level that, that really deserves better care. And so my one wish, I think, would probably be that we emphasize our sports cardiology training more effectively. Brilliant. Thanks for that. And, you know, if, as, as, a, as a journalist, social media channels, I'll make sure that everything goes out sort of, I know you've given us a lot of sort of links and things, so I'll make sure they go out. We can have a bit of a focus on sports cardiology this month. That'd be great. And, and certainly I'll send you the, the link when we, we have our um, – the, the new ECG modules launch, they will be freely available from what will be a, a, a larger uh, sports cardiology e-academy, so an online resource that's free. It has both the learning modules as well as conference presentations from, from different conferences that have focused on sports cardiology with really world experts there. And so hopefully it will serve as as at least one resource where people can get better uh, information, better training. And so, John, is there anything else you'd like to add in sort of about the field at all? Well, I think we've covered a lot, but, you know, when I, when I really step back and I think about screening, um, I think it boils down to how strongly the physician believes that identifying athletes early who have a condition at risk for sudden cardiac arrest will make a difference, you know, because screening with history and physical really doesn't do much. And so if you are serious about identifying athletes early and you really believe in that objective of our pre-participation evaluations, I don't think you can accomplish it through, through history and physical alone. And I think you have to be proactive to learn a different skill. In my mind, there are some risk groups that um, really deserve 
more robust screening on a regular basis that should be standardized. You know, we have our highest risk group that we have identified as our college male basketball players, a risk of about one in 10,000. Our uh, black college basketball players, a risk of about one in 5,000. To me, all of these athletes should be screened with an electrocardiogram. Um, in the United States, over 50% of sudden cardiac death occurs in two sports, you know, male basketball and American football. And to me, those are high risk groups. And I think those athletes deserve better screening. And then most recently, you know, the, the study that we discussed by Malhotra um, that was in the New England Journal of Medicine, the, the rate of sudden cardiac death in elite young, uh, mostly male soccer players was, was one in uh, uh, 14,000. And again, so now to me, you have three high risk groups or higher risk groups, you know, uh, male basketball players, American football players, and male soccer players that collectively probably represent 60 to 70% of all sudden cardiac death. And that's where we should be focusing more robust screening. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I think that's probably a good place to, to leave the podcast now. Well, thank you so much for joining us, John. Uh, thank you so much for having me. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so listeners, all the links will be posted online and in the blurb associated with this podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderfully physically active day.